Welcome back to Long Distance Work Life, where we help you lead, work, and thrive in remote and hybrid teams. I'm Marissa Eikenberry, a fellow remote worker, and joining me is my co-host and remote work expert, Wayne Trammell. How are you doing, Wayne? That would be me. I'm fine. I'm very well, as a matter of fact. I'm excited about today's topic because this is something I like to geek out on. (laughs) Right. So a couple weeks ago, we geeked out on ethical visibility and it was a great episode, but there were a lot of things that we just didn't get to. So we got some feedback, admittedly, it was from my dad. Hi, dad, that we should continue this conversation. So I've got some more questions. I'm ready to get started. By the way, we didn't have time to get to is Marissa's way of saying Wayne talked too much, but that's okay. (laughs) But it was all good stuff. So I'm okay with it. (laughs) So I'm going to start off with, you know, we, we've already talked about the definition of ethical visibility. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, like stop now, go listen to that and then come back to this one. So I'm going to start off with how is ethical visibility different from self-promotion? Yeah. And this is the thing that stops people from doing what they need to do. Uh, for those of you who didn't just follow Marissa's instructions, ethical visibility is how do you remain visible to your teammates and your manager when you are not physically in the same place and to make sure you're not out of sight and out of mind. And you're doing this for the sake of your engagement, for the sake of your contributions to the team. You're doing this for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which is you want people to acknowledge your existence. (laughs) Right. Uh, Because it can feel very lonely out there. Now, the thing is, a lot of people are hesitant to do this, and they're hesitant to do it for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is social conditioning that says, don't be a show off, uh, you know, uh, don't hog the glory. It's not all about me. It's not all about you, Mr. Smarty Pants. Uh, (laughs) So how do you strike the balance? And as we've said in the long distance teammate, and I think we probably mentioned it on the previous show, it's how are you presenting yourself to your team? Uh, Part of it is it should be about the work and it should be about the team. Yes. Right. I am presenting this idea, not because I think I'm smarter than you, but because I think this will benefit us. And the use of the collective language is really important. I think it should be done this way is very different than maybe we should do it this way. Right. It's a huge change. Right. We instead of I, us instead of me, that way of thinking, when you present it as being for the team, it's less about you and often people feel more comfortable that way. It's also important that you, while being authentic to yourself, know your team's culture and understand, is this the kind of culture where people are expected to speak up, step forward, you know, compete or die, publish or perish, if you will? Oh God, that sounds like my nightmare. (laughs) But there are organizations where, you know... If you have an idea, say it, or you're not going to get it mentioned to you. And if you are not physically in the room, it's even harder. If you're on those hybrid meetings and everybody in the room is dominating and you're trying to get a word in edgewise, if you don't step up, that word is not going to get in. 
Well, and we've talked about this on a previous episode, I'll link in the show notes, but you know, if you're having those hybrid meetings, like make sure you've got somebody who's trying to make sure that the people on, you know, the remote side are getting some of their stuff mentioned if they have stuff to mention. Yeah. I mean the way, but you know, the way that the meetings are facilitated either give you a chance or not. Right. Right. So, you know, you do this in a way. And the other thing is it can be part of the normal workflow. Okay. When you have your one-on-ones with your manager, do you say, Hey, I did this. Or did you see where I did this? What did you think? You're making sure that they know what's being accomplished. You're making sure they know what's being accomplished. It's said explicitly. You're not waiting for them to say good job on that. Right. And you're not, it's not like every day. How'd I do today? You know, you're not doing that. (laughs) Right. Uh, That becomes needy and slightly weird. Uh, But the trick is to have people know and think about you even when you aren't in the room. And to understand, more importantly, to understand what you bring to the team and what your level of engagement is. One of the simplest ways to be visible to your team is to be active. When there is a discussion going on in the chat, if you have something to contribute, do you contribute? Yeah. Even if it's, wow, that's a great point, I second that. Yes, it doesn't have to be some crazy insight every time. Yeah, you don't have to be leading the parade, but to say, hey, I've been thinking about this, I'm active, I'm part of this discussion, makes you visible to your teammates. If you are constantly refusing to use your webcam, I just got back from the gym, I hate the way I look, uh, the cat won't leave me alone, right? Whatever your excuse is, I don't care. But if you are not physically visible to your teammates, we are visual creatures. We tend to respond to what we see. Those types of things, simple things that demonstrate engagement, show that you're involved and that you care, and people want to know that. If you just say, well, I don't have anything to say here. And I'm not saying you should talk if you have nothing to say. Of course. But, you know, to refuse to participate in meetings or to be so busy answering texts and side messages that you're not contributing, after a while, not contributing gets equated with not caring or not being engaged. Yeah, even and that may not, not be true. true, but people need evidence of your engagement. Yes. So we talked a little bit already about, you know, talking to your boss and letting your boss know like, hey, I did this thing. And not because it's like, hey, look at me, get a gold star. In in many cases, your boss may not know that you did this project or or did something. And But other than just that, like, you know, in the book, you mentioned you need to be ethically visible enough to your boss that they keep you in mind and that they smile when they do. So what are some other ways that we can act on this? Yeah, this is a really good test. If you're really good at body language, you know, when when they hear you're on the phone or they see that you're coming on camera, what is their reaction? <laughs> I have had people who worked for me 
that my eyes would roll up in my head before they ever said a word. Oh, no. <laughs> because I was not looking forward to talking to this person. Yeah, I right? can see that. So what I say when I, you know, when you want your boss to smile is you don't want to only come to them when it's a crisis. Mm -hmm. And you want to be visible to them in a way that's pleasant. You know, it's not all about you. Take time. Ask the boss how their day is. Right. That's important right? too. Whenever I work, whenever I talk to Kevin, literally the last thing we ask each other, and I always, you know, kind of my trademark is how can I make your world a better place? That's my standard question. Right. But I do that because I'm leaving it with, this wasn't all about me. How can I help you? And that's important. Even with your manager, right? There's a difference between what do you need me to do and what can I do for you? Now <laughs> that you say that. There's a difference in tone. There's a difference in energy, right? One is what tasks have you got to add to my already crushing list? Mm -hmm. And the other one is how can I help? Like it occurred to me while you were talking, like I, I'm not sure that I realized that I was consciously doing this, but you know, if somebody calls me from the team or something like that, um, or you send me a Slack message, I usually respond with, how can I help you? Not what can I do? <laughs> Even though yeah. I am a very task oriented person. It's, it's funny. Words have so much more impact than we think they do. And that's why, you know, people that have worked with me for a long time know I have my toolkit. Like, how can I make your world a better place is kind of a trite, silly question. Mm -hmm. But I remember to ask it, and I'm sincere when I do. Right. right? And then when we say that there's nothing that you can do for us, you say, great. <laughs> yeah. I'm perfectly happy to be relieved of any responsibility or action if that's really the case. Yeah. But the point is that uh, you asked. But the... It, the point is that because I always ask that or as close to always as human beings can do. In the minds of the people that I work with, I am perceived as happy and willing to help. Right. And so you can do that with your manager as well to our question from earlier. You can do that to your manager and your manager as a manager, you can do that to your team. So, Speaking of managers, and um, so, like, how can leaders encourage ethical visibility in their organization, especially if maybe it's something that's not really been there before? Well, I think part of it is, and, and this all, everything goes back to, do you have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your teammates? Because these are not the kind of conversations that you want to have in a meeting. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm on a meeting with the team and I say, Marissa, you haven't said anything for five days. What's wrong with you? I'm not exactly encouraging the kind of forthcoming engagement that I would Or if I have. do respond and you go, oh, great, you finally piped up. That's not encouraging. <laughs> the one-on-ones are really important because those are the times when you can really have in-depth conversations and really coaching conversations. You know, Marissa, you do really, really good work. I don't think the team appreciates everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I'd like on our next meeting for you to give us a quick update on what's yeah. happening. 
Yeah, because it may not necessarily be that like the team doesn't appreciate what I'm doing or whomever is speaking, but it's like they may not know. <laughs> they may not know. And especially as we're in a world where it used to be in the before times we were all together and everybody knew and saw everybody. And there are now new members of the team. I mean, there are three years of new hires who weren't part of that previous culture. And we didn't get that exposure to each other every day. Mm -hmm. So your manager might know how valuable you are and the good work that you're doing, but your teammates might not. So are you, as a leader, providing opportunities to people to shine? Uh, another great thing to do is if somebody is really good at something, if they have, you know, and you are really good at doing this with your team, but you also do not go under unappreciated. But That's you know, true. you are our resident expert in Slack, and periodically we get the hey, did you guys know you could do this cool thing in Slack? Right. And I ignore most of it because and it's okay. technology and I don't want to, but I appreciate the fact that you offer it. And I do often try it. Um, but if you don't have those kinds of opportunities, are you giving people a chance to let everybody else know how smart you are, how mm -hmm. good you are at your job? Well, and I'll add on to that too, because I know, you know, I'm the resident tech expert. There's a lot of stuff that I do that, quite frankly, I could give you a list of what I'm doing. And many people on the team do not know what any of it means. And I have to challenge myself to still say it anyway. Because, you know, I, I actually had one of my coworkers, um, you know, one of our coworkers, challenge me on that recently because I had said, well, you guys don't know what any of this means anyway. So, so why am I telling you? And she's like, because there might be something in there that we do understand, or I might not know what any of that means, but I know that you worked on it. Here's, here's a secret. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to give you this bit of coaching. And you I will love it. Thank me Live on the podcast. Now. You will thank me years from now, particularly if you are a highly technical person and you are used to people rolling their eyes when yes. you, when you talk about things. Here's the tag on the sentence. So what that means is. Okay. Here's the thing that I did. I hit the fluver valve with the thingamajig and I recoded the umptima what's it. Wayne's eyes have glazed over. What that means to you is it's going to be easier to do that search. Right. And finding that is, is key. Yeah. I, I mean... If you are a highly technical person or if you talk too much, <clears throat> one of the filters that I always use is if you can't finish why you care about that is, they don't. Yeah. So as I'm creating sales pitches or PowerPoint presentations, rather than give all the information I can possibly give, I'm always... What do they care about and how can I give them that information? Absolutely. So that way and, they can care. That's part of ethical visibility. Are you seen as a nerd who is doing something I don't care about, but lovely to have you? Mm -hmm. Or are you adding value to my life? Right. And if you are adding value to my life, I will see you. <laughs> yes. You know, it, it's really funny. Uh, we saw Avatar. Uh, 
a few weeks ago, the new Avatar movie. Mm -hmm. And there's that phrase that the Navi use, I see you. That's right. It's been, I haven't seen the new sequel yet and it's been a long time since I've seen the first one, but I do right. remember that. But it's that notion of, I see you. It's not just, yeah, I know you're there. It's I'm acknowledging you. That's what you're looking for. You want people to see you. You want them to acknowledge you. You want them to value what you bring to the table and know that you value the same for them. Yeah. And at the end, that's the ethical part of ethical visibility. And that's how you separate being a show off and having it all be about you mm -hmm. to this new way of looking at things. So what's the cost of not having ethical visibility within your organization? If people, okay, there are a couple of very obvious things. As we return to hybrid work, mm -hmm. and this was happening in the before times, but it's, been ramped up exponentially since then. There is a very natural tendency for leaders to have proximity bias. If I need a task done, I'm going to turn to the nearest person who is close to me. Even though if they I may have, not be the best person for the even job. Even though they may not be the best person or somebody else could benefit from that as a, um, as a development opportunity, you know, I need this off my plate, so I'm going to shovel it to the first person I see. Right. I have a question. I'm going to go to the person nearest because it's easier than typing a question and waiting for an answer. I had that happen yesterday with Kevin because I was it, in the office. <laughs> it's a very natural human thing. And as leaders, we need to make sure that we are not keeping too much on the people in the office and that we are not seen to be which is the thing. It's not that I don't think you can't answer this question. I didn't think to ask you. Right. That's the point, right? That's what you're trying to overcome is that natural tendency to proximity bias. And so managers, we need to, if we need to delegate a task, we need to go, what is the task that needs to be done? Who am I going to delegate this to? I mean, there, there are entire classes on how to effectively delegate, right? Are right. you delegating to get the muck off your plate and give it to somebody else? Or is this a development opportunity? Or is this a learning opportunity? Or is this a chance to build a new skill? Or, you know, if somebody maybe isn't seen as valuable, maybe you give them something they can get a win with. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a chance to shine for a second. Right. And if, you know, if I need a couple of people on a project, do I go to the person in the office and say, pick somebody and they pick their buddy or the person at the next desk? Maybe I should be more intentional about getting somebody who's in the office and somebody who's not. Mm -hmm. Well, and I know Kevin's done this a few times with um, some projects here and there. Most recently, we have a company book club. And one of the things when it first was mentioned was who's going to run it. He didn't necessarily mind who it was, but it was like who might be interested in it and gave us an opportunity to raise our hands for it. Absolutely. Ask for volunteers. Um, but if you're going to ask for volunteers, make sure people have all the information. Right. <laughs> right. What does this entail? Yes. Because then we may no longer people, volunteer. Before you get people to raise their hands. Yes. 
So one of the last questions that I want to uh, end with is, is ethical visibility a concept that happens organically when we're in person, but it requires conscious effort when we're remote or hybrid? I think it's certainly easier in person. Mm -hmm. um, it's also can be a little deceiving. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, let's take a look at the really simple thing. If somebody shows up on time, say hi to me when they show up and they're at their desk all day and they say goodbye to me when they leave, I have a reasonable assumption that that person has shown up and done some work and is present. We all know people who show up on time and leave on time and don't get a darn thing done and they're completely <laughs> useless, right? Right. So it can be a deceptive metric. It's easy for us to manage activity rather than actual output. There are also dynamics at play. Uh, one of the interesting studies, people that do diversity, inclusion, equity uh, studies, a number of people, women in particular, visible minorities, say that it's easier for them to speak up on web meetings because there isn't that personal intimidation factor. I've heard people talk about that. Before. You don't have some old white guy shooting daggers at you over the table over the table as you make your point. Or, you know, you're afraid to speak up because you've got the next desk next to Bill and he's not going to let you forget about it. So uh, just to add on to this, so I'm because maybe there's a psychology thing that I'm missing here. Is it just because, because from my perspective, okay, I'm not in the office. I don't have, you know, Jim Bob staring daggers at me. So I might be able to actually answer something. But at the same time, if, if we're on a gallery view or something for Zoom, like I've got everybody looking at me. It's psychologically different. And you're probably not looking specifically at Jim Bob when this is happening. I, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm just saying that they feel more. I mean, this is all perception. Human beings of course. are very little based on actuality and everything based on perception. <laughs> yes. I just wondered if there was a psychology. It's thing that, that I was perception missing. of psychological safety. And not that I'm worried before, it's important. Bob's actually going to come at me. Right? <laughs> right. He's never actually physically assaulted a coworker as long as we know. Right. But it's really not going to happen if we're 500 miles apart. Right. So I, I think, you know, in person, it's easier. We pick up, you know, I can tell when you're frustrated in a meeting. And if I'm doing my job as a leader, I'm going to come around to you and go, what happened in there? Right. Um, but it's easier in person. It absolutely is. Now, does this mean it can't work? remotely or when you're not in the office as often as everybody else? The answer is, of course, it doesn't mean that. Or frankly, we wouldn't be doing this podcast or having a job. Um, Amen. But I think that's where we need to end it. This has gone on much longer, yes. especially since this is the second part of a conversation. <laughs> I know. We've gone on much longer than we thought it would. Thankfully, I did get through my questions this time, though. So, you know, we'll take our win when we can get it. <laughs> So listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Long Distance Work Life. For show notes, transcripts, and other resources, make sure to visit longdistanceworklife.com. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, be sure to like and review. This helps us know what you love about our show.
Feel free to contact us via email or LinkedIn with the links in our show notes and let us know you listened to this episode or even suggest a topic for Wayne and I to tackle in a future episode. We would love to hear your questions. If you'd like to learn more about remote teams, order Wayne and Kevin Eikenberry's new book, The Long Distance Team. You can learn more about the book at longdistanceteambook.com. Thanks for joining us. And as Wayne likes to say, don't let the weasels get you down.